Let's pray. God, as we come uh, to listen to your word this morning, we pray for your spirit. We've learned about your spirit over the last several weeks in different ways, and we pray for your spirit to fall fresh on us. We pray for your spirit to fill Pastor Steve as he delivers your word through his words. And we pray, Lord, that you will um, bless those words to apply to our lives as we journey through the Psalms now in the next uh, few weeks. Amen. Thanks, Mike. As Mike said, and as I said earlier, we're going to begin a short series working through a few of the Psalms. Uh, this week we're looking at Psalm 34. Grab your Bible, go there. Next week, a friend of mine, uh, she's preached here before, Becky Chapkis is going to come and preach on Psalm 121. So feel free to throughout your week. Uh, look at that psalm, read it, meditate over it. Um, we hope that during this series uh, on the psalms that we have an opportunity to look at not only praise, but also psalms of lament uh, to help us give a give ourselves perhaps a, a better idea of, of uh, how lament is different than complaining um, and what praise looks like and what it doesn't look like. Uh, so, Join with us when we do that. Uh, you know, lament is, is bringing to God really our thoughts in times of, of trouble and perhaps even when it's difficult for even us sell, uh, ourselves to formulate those words. So we go this morning, like I said, chapter 34. And 34 is actually written in, in acrostic. Uh, if you're not familiar with that word, it would be like, us writing something out and, and each sentence would begin with the next letter in the alphabet. Now with, with the Hebrew alphabet, there's 22 letters, so there's 22 verses, and we're not gonna look at all 22 of those, uh, but we're gonna, we're gonna look at like eight specific verses. Now David wrote this psalm after an event he had experienced, and, and there's a summary kind of, of, of how David uh, wrote it, uh, that should be before verse 1. And uh, there's a, a, a similar story that we can find in First Samuel chapter 21. Uh, the only major difference in this story versus the summary that's given in uh, the, the psalm is that uh, the name of the king is different. In First Samuel, it's, it's King Achish. And in Psalm 34, it says it's King Abimelech. But essentially, David, in this story in uh, the 21st chapter of Samuel, is set to be the king, but he's not the king. He's not on the throne yet. It's, it's, it's Saul that's king, and, and David ends up fleeing from Saul, and he goes into this, this other nation, and it ends up being a nation of enemies to David. David had gone to war against them before, and now David is among those people People that were at were relatives and, and, and tribe members of perhaps those even David had slaughtered himself. And they figured out that David was their leader. David was the leader of the king of or, or of the of Israel, and, and they say we need to kill him now. We need to kill him. And and what David does is he actually kind of fakes being insane. To where the king wants nothing to do with him and the king of Gath lets him leave on his own uh, account. 
And then after that, that's when David writes this psalm. So let's read this together. We're going to start at verse 11. The English Standard Version in front of me right now. And so we're going to read out of that. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and His ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord turns His ear to the righteous. Perhaps, perhaps it makes us wonder, who, who are the righteous? The right in heart. The people who are right in heart apparently are, are careful with their tongues. They're careful with the way they speak and in, in what they say. I read a sermon recently by uh, uh, Pastor J.T. English. And he asked these questions. When was the last time you repented? When was the last time that you were enraged? These two questions. These two things. And I think the tongue is important because out of the tongue would come the responses to these questions and how we live our life. And, and even James, the book of James says our, our tongue is so important because it's like the rudder of a ship and it, it decides where we go and, and how we live. And like J.T. English asks, when was the last time you were enraged? When was the last time we used our tongue out of rage, out of, out of outrage perhaps. I think the thing is, lately we've seen a lot of outrage in our culture. And I'm not just talking about the last week. I'm not just talking about the last month. But it's almost every day. Every day there can be something different that we can be outraged about. We can be outraged uh, by the riots. We could be outraged by what someone posted on social media. We can be outraged by something someone said to us in a conversation. I wonder when was the last time you were outraged? When was the last time that, that I was outraged? And it's, it's really easy for us to think back to the last week, I think. In the last week, I've seen outrage in a lot of different areas. I've seen outreach Outrage over the use of tear gas and military presence on peaceful protesters. I've seen outrage against lawlessness, looters, and police. I've seen outrage for those who are impoverished. I've seen outrage for the centuries of mistreatment of individuals. 
I've seen outrage that good law enforcement officers are lumped in with the bad. I've seen outrage that those who loot are, are lumped in with those who peacefully protest. I've seen outrage of, of the Bible being used as a prop. Perhaps we have seen outrage. Perhaps you have seen the outrage of, of those things. It's outrage upon outrage upon outrage upon outrage. And, and the thing is, I probably could have listed more. I could have listed more ways where, where people were outraged. But I invite you to think about that word, outrage. One of the ways we use our tongues. Outrage. Outrage. Something outside of ourselves, right? It's really easy for us, even me, to be outraged at what someone else does. It's something that happens outside of myself and and it's easy for me to critique the behavior of other people. Now, I'm not saying we can't critique or be outraged by certain things. I think there is a place for it. But often this critique that we have is based on some moral standard that we've developed actually in our own minds. We've, we've created almost this ladder of morality for ourselves. Picture a ladder. You know, it's, it's got two rungs on the sides and then steps that go up. And, and what we do is we have in our minds this idea of what morality looks like and we start putting people in different spots. And, and the thing is, to say, I'm in the middle. I'm not that great of a guy. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the best I could be. But you know what? What we do, we, you know, we put someone up here, like, you know, Gandhi or whoever you want to put, Mother Teresa, whoever you want to put, Jesus, you know, whoever you want to put up there, that's fine. But what we can always do is we can always find someone else on that rung that's below us or way, way down here. Maybe that's Hitler, you know. We, we can see what he did was wrong. And, and, and based on my, my morality ladder, I always can find someone else who isn't living the way that I want them to live or I think that they should live. And so then it's easy for me to get outraged at the people who are on the rungs of the ladder that are below me rather than necessarily getting outraged at myself. When I get outraged at someone else, I can feel good about myself because I'm not living that way. Based on however we choose that ladder to be, we can, we can choose the people we want to uh, idolize and, 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 and lift up, and we can choose the people that we want to demonize and look down upon. The problem is, my set of moral values that I perhaps come up with on my own, or or your set of moral values that you come up with your own, that's not the way things work. Scripture invites us into something else. Scripture invites us into a set of moral standards that we believe is authoritative. And if, and if we, we look at the set of moral standards and what Scripture tells us and, and how Scripture would describe this ladder... 
Scripture would describe the ladder as Jesus at the top and all of us are way down here and there's no way that we can get to God on our own. There's no way. There's a philosopher and, and theologian from the late 19th century, early, early 20th century named uh, G.K. Chesterton. And it was uh, purported to say that a newspaper asked him what is the biggest problem in the world today? And if we were asked that problem, perhaps we would come up with a variety of things. The economy, injustice, discrimination, immigration, whatever you want to come up with. Chesterton had a two-word response. Many people wrote, wrote paragraphs responding to this. His response was simple. I am. What is wrong with the world today? Me. I am. I am what is wrong with the world today. And if we think about that ladder that's in Scripture that says that we are sinful people unable to get to God, that's really the truth. There is a, a sin problem and I am a part of that problem. So instead of, of looking outward and being outraged by other people's behavior, there's a place first that we need to start and it's with ourselves. If, if we believe in Jesus and, and what He's given to us, we believe in this process of sanctification which Joel preached on a couple weeks ago. And, and it's, it's a process that says, I am going one direction and I realize what I am doing is sin and the way I'm acting is sinful and, and I need to repent and, and turn away and start going that other direction. I am the problem. Even Paul, when writing in the New Testament, said that he was the greatest sinner of them all. Because we know, we know what's in our hearts. We know what's in our minds. And oftentimes other people know that as well because it comes out of our tongues. Keep your tongue from evil, verse 13 says, and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. How we use our tongue has, has bearing on everything. Has bearing on how we love our neighbors and enemies and loved ones. What we believe about Scripture has bearing over everything because we believe Jesus is, is Lord of all. That every government is His footstool. He is the one with authority and we are not. And we sit underneath His authority. I wonder, in the midst of all the outrage, in the midst of all the outrage that we've probably read and seen, where can we repent? What does repentance look like for us? A friend of mine, uh, repentance looks like this. So I'm going to use her words. I failed recently. I think it's important for us to be able to say that to each other 
I was working to get a sign together to post in support of our black neighbors when I had questions about research that I could have found by myself, but wasn't because I was such a hurry. I reached out to a diversity leader in our denomination. Even while hurting himself, he responded gracefully. Acknowledging his hurt, this is later on, I sent a simple apology outlining my mistake. This is the important part, friends. We all make mistakes. We will misstep and inadvertently hurt others who are already hurting. Apologize. Admit the mistake and do better. Thankfully, my friend was gracious again. And that's what we need from each other. Lots and lots of grace. Some of us might, might look at what the friend did. Yeah, we're reaching out to, to someone to, to find out what resources are available. Well, that was a good thing. But even when the intent is good and someone is hurt, we repent. Repentance is at the heart of our faith. We repent and we believe in Jesus Christ because it's only His righteousness, not a self-made righteousness of my own that, that gets us to heaven. It's only through the power of Jesus Christ, His death, His resurrection, and His ascension that we are made right with God. And it's recognizing day in and day out where is it that we have failed. Maybe it was today, but the other thing that can happen is we can recognize where in our past we have failed. And then when we realize what we've done wrong, we we change our behavior when we know that it has grieved God. And it's it's grieved others in the process. And and we go back and, and we apologize. And in the midst of doing that, in the, in the midst of, of, of being those who are given the righteousness of Jesus because of how we repent for the things that, that we do and continue to do, the sin that, that so often entangles, as Paul would put, there's another part. It's God's eyes see and God's ears hear. Those words, they can be comforting at times. God's eyes see and God's ears hear. They can be comforting because we know there's, there's a God who's a loving person who, who cares for us and he, and, he, and he wants to hear from you and he, and he sees what's going on in your life. And you could take it a step further that, that Jesus even experienced everything that you experience. But it also can be maddening. can be maddening in, in the sense of, God, if you see and if you hear, why aren't you doing anything? If you see this, this plight that we're going through and the problem that sin is in this world and how it, it causes people to, to go against one another and, and causes division, why aren't you doing anything if you see it and if you, you hear it? Sometimes to me, it seems like the cries just seem to be getting louder and louder. Cries amplified by by what's going on in and around our communities and even around the globe. It doesn't 
take very long for us to find out horrible tragedies that happen in our neighborhoods. But it takes even less time for us to look on the news and see what's happening all around the world. We can see heartache. Do you hear the heartache and the cries? The cries of, of families who's lost loved ones in the last year, even the last months from disease and sickness. We can see those cries. The, the cries of those who, who have died this year and around the world due to disease as the numbers just continue to increase. The cries of, of families who slowly are losing loved ones as each day passes. We can see the heartache and hear the cries of, of families who have lost loved ones from lack of justice. The many people whose lives are snuffed out. Cries of those who have lost loved ones due to persecution. Perhaps in all these situations, there's names in our mind. Those who died of sickness. Those who have died of injustice. Those who have died of persecution. Name came across my feed this week. A fellow seminary graduate. He graduated before I was there, before I started. But known by my professors. Even known by some of my friends. Reverend Emmanuel and his pregnant wife, Juliana, were killed in an attack in Nigeria. God hears the cries of the righteous. God hears the cries of, of their eight children that are left behind. Sometimes those cries, they're, they're filled with hope and joy because we know that individuals have lived full lives and, 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 and they have, have done so much and they know the Lord and, and it was such a, a joy-filled experience when they went to be the Lord and they were relieved of, of the, the suffering that they had experienced here in this world. But other times, they aren't filled with joy. They aren't filled with hope. Those cries are, are filled with deep sadness deep hurt, deep loss. Families who unexpectedly lose loved ones almost in a, a blink of an eye. They were here today and now they're gone. I wonder if we hear those cries like God hears those cries. Because those cries of, of those who have passed go on even after their lives have ended. God hears the cries. What are we doing to amplify those cries? To, to lift those cries up to the Lord that He may hear. Just recently, the other day, the Christian Reformed Church in North America, our denomination, published a statement calling for us to speak, to work, and to preach against racism. The denomination called us to do the hard work there is in this area, allowing the Spirit to work in our lives to sanctify our minds and our hearts. And I'm going to add our tongues. Not something 
politically motivated, they said, but it's biblically stated. Do we see the cries? Do we hear the cries? To to move beyond just outrage and move into an area of, of transformation and sanctification where our life will look different, where we do the hard work to learn what it is that we are doing that could even perhaps hurt our neighbor, our brother, our sister, people of color who have the image of God upon them. Are we crying out with our, with our words, with our mouths, with our tears from our eyes? Do we, do we cry out with our hands and our feet as we move to those who, who support, who, can, who we can support? Because when we do so, when we speak out as the denomination suggests, when we, when we cry out, the Lord hears and we're speaking out against Satan. We're speaking out against what he is trying to tell us. The lies which belittle and the lies which hurt. The lies which cause struggle. The lies that ignore other experience. The lies which seek to blame. The lies that we don't want to speak up because we're fearing that somehow someone will say you are being political. So I wonder, in our lives, not as we look on this one ladder that's our own moral identity and in how way we live where we can find people who are worse off than us not when we look at that but when we look at this other ladder that says i am the problem what do we see what do we see in our cries what do we see in our tweets what do we see in our words are are they developed from that understanding of god's full revelation do our cries to god support the overall theme of justice and reconciliation and repentance which is found in Jesus. Do your cries rise to be heard by someone other than yourself? Are your cries noticeable in the way that your life is changing? By the way the Lord is changing you and causing you to live differently? These are the questions I ask of myself too. Where is it that we, like what the Christian Reformed Church called us to do, where is it that we move beyond thoughts and prayers and truly become a church and truly become individuals looking at our own lives, recognizing that we must be people of reconciliation Injustice and repentance. A church that openly laments our lack of reconciliation. A church that openly laments the presence of injustice in all areas. A church that speaks out where perhaps once they never did before. But now they know they must repent of their lack of willingness to speak. They must repent of being silent. Because it's it's the one who cries out that God hears. And ultimately, we know that God 
will have the final say in justice. Let's pray. Father, this was a hard message, I think. Hearing the words of G.K. Chesterton, I am the problem. I don't often like to admit that I am the problem. So I pray that you would help us repent of where we are the problem. Those times, perhaps, when we lock our car doors because we're going into a different neighborhood. Those times where we see someone walking on the side of the road who's a a person of color and we choose to avert our eyes or move to the other sidewalk. We pray that You would open our eyes and allow us to repent of those times where we assume someone received a position because of the color of their skin rather than the content and their intelligence of their mind. Work in us, Lord. Transform our hearts and our minds and cause the cries of our mouths to speak out for Your justice for your reconciliation, and for your repentance when needed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us as we worship God and look to Him, but at the same time, look to ourselves and say to ourselves, I am the problem. And, and then we go on throughout this week recognizing that we must live differently. That we may be people of Scripture. Looking for ways to reconcile people with God and people with people. Looking for ways that we ourselves must turn from the way we lived once and live a different way. That sounds like something that you want to be a part of. I invite you to join us. Join us in His mission. Join us by by giving of what God has given you uh, to His church. So I invite you, uh, just as we normally do here at church, respond to God by giving Him of yourself, of your time, and of your money. And you you can do that by either sending a check to 5330 Kalamazoo Avenue, or by going to princetoncrc.org and clicking the donate button. The Lord goes with you. He's with you right now, and He goes with you wherever you go, just as this song said. So let us together receive the blessing that Mindy read earlier. God, go before you to lead you. God, go behind you to protect you. God, go beneath you to support you. God, go beside you to befriend you. Do not be afraid. May the blessing of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you today and all of your days. Do not be afraid. Go in love. Go in God's love to serve Him each and every place you go.